Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends. If Watch With Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is Maria Lewis. Delightful, irreverent, and incredibly funny, Maria Lewis is an author, screenwriter, and journalist based in Australia. Getting her start as a police reporter, Maria's writing on pop culture has appeared in publications such as the New York Post, The Guardian, Penthouse, The Daily Mail, Empire Magazine, Gizmodo, The Huffington Post, The Daily and Sunday Telegraph, io9, Junkie, and many more. Previously seen as a presenter on SBS Viceland's nightly news program, The Feed, and as the host of Clever Fan on ABC, Maria has been a journalist for over 16 years. Her best-selling debut novel, Who's Afraid?, was published in 2016, followed by its sequel, Who's Afraid 2, in 2017, which was nominated for Best Horror Novel at the Orealis Awards in 2018. Who's Afraid is being developed for television by the Emmy and BAFTA award-winning Hoodlum Entertainment. Her young adult debut, It Came From The Deep, was released globally on October 31st, Halloween 2017, and is a twist on The Little Mermaid Meets Creature from the Black Lagoon. Maria's fourth book, The Witch Who Courted Death, was released on Halloween 2018 and won Best Fantasy Novel at the Orealis Awards in 2019. Her fifth novel, set within the shared supernatural universe, The Wailing Woman, was nominated for Best Fantasy Novel at the Orealis Awards in 2020. Maria, who I first met on Twitter through her best friend, Blake Howard, was the host of the limited One Heat Minute Productions podcast series, Josie and the Podcats, about the 2001 cult film, Josie and the Pussycats. I am greatly looking forward to talking to Maria about all of this and more. So welcome, Maria, to Watch with Jen and Friends. Well, I will jump in here. So, Maria, how are you doing and how are you adapting to pandemic life? Um, <laughs> you've asked how I'm doing on a day where I'm not doing super great. <laughs> I'm oh, in, sorry. in pajamas now. Nah, like, I'm totally fine. The, the scale for this year is like, are you dead? then like no then like shut the fuck up um so yeah like I'm doing fine I just you know it was just one of those days um so I'm based in Melbourne Victoria for those listeners who maybe don't know um our city is the worst in Australia for um like coronavirus cases but we also have some of the strictest regulations in the world so we have been in forced lockdown for months now where um There's a curfew. You can't go outside of the house after 8 p.m. and or before 5 a.m. Um, and if you are, you're fined and arrested. Um, you can't leave the house for more than an hour a day. Masks are mandatory. Everything's shut. Like the only things that are open are supermarkets and um, 
only one person in the house is allowed to leave to go to the supermarket and it has to be part of your like governmentally registered hour. So it's, it's, they call it stage four, but it's exactly the same restrictions as um, what my home country went into New Zealand right at the start, which saw them get down to zero cases really quickly. So it's like, it's smart. It's for the best. It's saving lives. Um, After a few months though, it is, it is tough, like for sure. Even just like the little things, like things that you don't necessarily um, didn't. I don't want to say don't appreciate because I always appreciated them, but I miss having mates over to like for drinks yes. and watch movies, stuff like that. I like know. I miss you know going to a pub with my mates and like hanging out, like just little yeah. things like that. Um, and we, when the first wave of this hit, I was stuck in, I got stuck in Sydney, um, at my best mate Blake's house and my other best mate, Sam, who's his wife, which is great. Cause they're married to each other. So you get the hit of two BFFs at once. So I got okay. stuck in Sydney during the first wave. And then when the borders opened, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Sick. I'll go back to Melbourne. We finished Josie and the podcasts, which was our podcast series that we'd done on that movie. And I got back to Melbourne and they're like, well, surprise, <laughs> <We're> going, <laughs> like hard lockdown, baby. So today I hadn't had as uh, like, it's early in the day. It's 9am for me. So it hasn't been too bad. But yesterday I was just in big fuck it mode. I just watched six movies back to back. I just was like, you know what? You Today's to right. Yeah, you do, you totally yeah. do. Like it's just, I had gone through the stage where I had found it challenging to watch things. Yeah. Um, and so I went on a book stage where I was like reading a lot. And then it was like, I didn't want to have any silence in the house. So it was like podcast after podcast, even shit I wouldn't listen to. Like some <laughs> doing up like Joe Rogan crap just to have a voice in the background. And I was like, I hate this. What am I doing? I don't need to listen to like Vlad Hamilton talking about how he saw the fucking universe by doing a headstand on a beach in Hawaii. Like he's an actual. <laughs> um, and I couldn't watch anything new. Then it was like only stuff that I had already watch because there's no anxiety in that like you know what you're yeah. gonna and then now I've hit the stage where it's only new stuff so um okay I've been working my way through uh like a lot of Cameron Crowe's back catalog so oh, I'm a huge fan same so am I he interviewed him for um Aloha when it came out mate rest in oh, peace wow. Oh, yeah, <laughs> of all movies like fuck um but it was that interesting thing because when it came out in Australia we have our like proximity to New Zealand, but also like Polynesia and Micronesia in general. We have a big Polynesian population here. So the interview had been set up, do the inter- or, like we're going to do the interview after the screening, but get invited to the premiere. And so I rock up with some friends of mine. And as I walk through the door, the publicist was like, oh, and Maria, you're just over this way. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, we're <laughs> seat for you over here. And I was like, but I'm with my, and they're like, no, no, there's a seat over here. And so as I get closer to, like, where they've organized the seating, it was, like, weirdly segregated seating. They had, like, all the the Polynesian members of media, like, kind of, they'd reserved the front two rows for them. So it was, like, it was my mate Crit, who's, like, an incredible, like, host and activist. And it was, like, every fucking, like, Maori, Tongan, Samoan footy player in Sydney. And we all had the front two rows. (laughs) <laughs> and it was like so fucking weird it was ever for the movie aloha like 
something like Moana would have made sense, but for fucking Aloha. Um, but I am a really big fan of his and he was a wonderful person to speak to. And I have just like missed big parts of his filmography. Like I really hate the movie Almost Famous. And so I had missed kind of <gasps> oh, everything. No. <laughs> I know 20th anniversary. I'm like, surprise, I hate it. Um <laughs> And I watched Jerry Maguire for the first time. And then oh, I, I watched Say. <laughs> okay. I fucking love it. I watched Say Anything. I watched oh, love it. Singles. Like I was doing the whole bit. And then um, so I did like all of these in one day. And then, um, oh, fuck, uh, I did Hackers. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Like I just I don't know I, I did Gross Point Blank um some kind of wonderful and then oh, I some of the my night. favorites there <laughs> yeah I know right um I wasn't a fan of some kind of wonderful I liked everything else some kind of wonderful can like fuck off um <laughs> and I finished the night with Sea Fever which was something new and very far away from the teen eighties twenties okay. canon I guess you could say. So that's how I've been doing, just literally mainlining movies into my fucking veins. Um, how have you been doing? How, how are you hanging out? I've been enjoying the show and really okay. like hearing you talk to people that are friends and people that I haven't met yet who I feel like I will be friends with. It's been a really nice comfort blanket. Oh, good. I am doing well. I think this actually is helpful. I had been planning to start a podcast for a little bit and then started it around the same time that the pandemic started. And it was kind of like a nice way to reach out and talk to people and kind of get out of your head. So I think that was really helpful. Totally. Yeah. And do you work from home? I do. Yeah. As a writer. So you're kind of isolated anyway, totally. um, even though you feel way more isolated because I'm kind of in self quarantine in America. I mean, there's, no fucking order right now. Everybody's kind of doing whatever they want, but you wish that there was. And so I am kind of staying at home and just chilling. And so it's kind of hard because you want to have people over and you know you can't, that kind of thing. So this is a good way to reach out and still yeah. feel like you're part of the world a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I've honestly really enjoyed like listening to the show. Like when you had Katie on, oh. I was like, oh, yeah, my girl. Oh, yes. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. been really great because I, you know, obviously legally we've been fucking staying at home, but I work from home too. So, in terms of okay. an adjustment, this isn't too much of an adjustment. It means like I'm not going into, um, I've been working at uh, the Australian Centre for Moving Image, which, for those who don't know, okay. it's like the most visited film museum in the world, right? And it's based in wow. Melbourne. And so they're about to relaunch um, their exhibition. And so I've been working sort of on that exhibition for the past kind of few years. So that's the kind of thing where I would go into the office like a few days a week, but most days of the week I would work from home or I'd be mm -hmm. travelling for like interviews or on a set or like you know having to do a book tour or something like that so I could still work like remotely and work mobile and so this really yeah. hasn't that much of a shift because I feel like anybody especially writers anyone who's used to working from home we're like oh my god this is what I've been training for my whole life <laughs> pretty much yeah it's just the attention span I think that took some getting used to because you know it's just it's like dystopia 24 7 so, yeah, that took some getting used to. And yeah. I've gone well, through some phases where, yeah, I where I couldn't read as much and then I wanted to read. So just like you, it kind of depends on the day. 
It's like seasons. Yeah. You go through seasons of content. Um, and you, it's usually also tricky because if I'm on a book deadline um, or doing anything book-related, I can't be reading at the same time. Like, I can't be reading for pleasure because uh, whatever reading starts to bleed into my work. And oh, it's I can see transparent. That. Like, I remember reading this. Um, <laughs> so stupid. Not stupid. I love these books. Genre is just, like, the shit. And there's, there's such an incredible inventive series. But it's like these steampunk werewolf novels, um, this Gail Carriger series that became this big thing. It's kind of like James Bond with parasols and monsters, right? <laughs> but I was reading that while um, writing my second book. And then when I had gone back to edit it, uh, and this is like years and years ago, I like I could almost tell the exact point I had started that book because my language shifted like suddenly ah. I was all, like very formal, whereas the characters that I were writing with like Scottish fucking monsters in Berlin you know what I mean like in their 20s all of a sudden the language is like a terrible Jane Austen ripoff so I just like learned then I was like I can't be reading things for pleasure while writing at the same time so it had been like you know the season of consuming books and season of consuming podcasts but I think the thing that's killing me the most um that I found really hard and maybe it is because it's at this point of the lockdown where we've been in it for months and it's now like nearly October, but I haven't been in a fucking movie theater. Like I miss, I feel like it's like a sickness in my heart. Like I miss, (laughs) I don't think I have ever gone so long in my life without being in a movie theater, you know, like it is, it's like since I was four, like the first movie I saw ever was Jaws but that was at home whatever and it was also like a very big fantasy movie because I was living in this very small remote um rural town in New Zealand so like I hadn't seen the ocean <laughs> so I was like okay. this like this is wild like we had a lake like not really the same and then the first movie I saw in the theater was um Beauty and the Beast and that seemed much more relatable because there was like a lot of snowy mountains and shit but since then, I have never gone so long in my life without seeing a movie. And especially like, you know, as a film writer and as someone who works on movies and stuff like that, you're used to going and seeing things, something for work, let alone seeing something for pleasure, let alone seeing something that you worked on, let alone going to see something that a friend made or, um, you know, like in some kind of capacity they worked on and you're watching it to go support them. I just like, I just, I honestly could just have an aneurysm at the thought of like sitting in a fucking movie theater and watching a movie. And it's tough as well because the rest of Australia isn't in as tough a lockdown as we are right now. So yeah. I'm having a look at all these like Instagram stories and tweets of I my know. beautiful. Yeah. I love going to see these fucking movies and I'm so mad and like, you know. Uh, <laughs> came out and tenant and like shit like that and everyone's going to the fucking theater and i'm just like i hate you i hate you i hate you i love you but i hate you getting close to halloween season and a bunch of the um the theaters here like most theaters will do like alamo draft house does a great um we don't have them here but like us they do a great halloween season and everybody's like sharing oh look at the halloween halloween season this year and i'm like Halloween here is going to be fucking indoors and not in a theater. And I couldn't yep, be more mad yep. about it. Like our drive-in cinemas were open for like a month and then everything shut down again. So we haven't even had the the luxury of being able to go a, to a drive-in, which I think, you know, that's obviously a lot of theatrical releases in the U.S. are leaning pretty heavily on the drive-ins right now. 
if that happens, like I would, I would just love that. I will happily go and sit in my car and watch a movie by myself. I don't give a shit, but just like the idea yeah. of being able to watch a movie on the big screen again would be amazing. Uh, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Well, I first met you on Twitter through Blake Howard, and mm. I knew I wanted to meet you as soon as he mentioned on One Heat Minute that you watched the movie and texted him that you were pre- prepared for how attracted you were to De Niro. I heard it, and I was like, there's a girl after my own heart. So how did you and Blake first become friends, and how was it working together on Josie and the Podcasts? So Blake and I have been mates for just, I think, if not 10 years, close to it at this point. Okay. It's, it's been a long time. Um, and it was like Australia geographically is like a very big country with a small population, right? So there is often that joke, like you always see on talk shows in the US where like they have an Australian guest on and they're like, you all know each other, right? But you kind of all <laughs> work in a specific industry and in particular the film writing community in Australia is, is is quite small and quite insular. Even the film industry in Australia is very small. I work across a few different industries and it just feels like everybody overlaps. But it was through Twitter, literally through Twitter. I was a police reporter on the Gold Coast, which is a part of Australia that's kind of like Florida. You know what I mean? Okay. Like it's very, like trashy and fucking crazy. Um, and <laughs> like, it really is like, it's Australia, it's Florida. Um, and I was working there as a police reporter and I was trying to transition into writing about film, but I obviously, I had to make a case for myself with my editor at the time because I was quite good at police rounds. And when you get into a beat and if you can handle it and you're not having mental breakdown, they don't want you to leave that beat. So I was trying to build up a body of work for myself that I could point to as a reference for why I would be good at a, at a film writing job. And for um, clarity on the Gold Coast, if you're an international, like when movies come to shoot in Australia, they tend to shoot in one or two places. And it's like the Gold Coast, which is where they shot Thor, um, Ragnarok, okay. where they shot a bunch of the Pirates movies. It's where they shot Aquaman. Um it's where they shot the Phantom. That was the very first movie they ever shot there. One of my faves from '96. Um, okay. Or you shoot in Sydney, which is where they shot Power Rangers, Mighty Morphin, The Matrix, Legends of um, Shang Chi, shooting there at the moment. So it's one of those two places. So it was a very good position place to be a film writer. So I'd started a film blog, um, as, like to practice and hone my craft and like try and get good at this thing that I was trying to get a job at. And attached to that was Twitter. And so that's how Blake and I um, first started interacting with each other was on Twitter and a whole bunch of us through what was a a bit of like an Aussie film collective that he started called Graffiti with Punctuation, which is a little bit of a to, um, yeah, Contagion, (laughs) which is so relevant. Like we were chuckling because we watched that when I was in lockdown with them at the start of the year, we were watching Contagion and sort of chuckling because it's like our friendship kind of all sort of stemmed um, in a way from that line and that movie. But that's how we became friends. And then like just internet friends, right? Like me and you, like Mm -hmm. you don't know each other, but you know each other, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then I moved to the same city. I started working as an entertainment reporter and then got recruited um, internally by a newspaper that was based in Sydney, which is where uh, he and his wife Sam live. And then we met each other IRL and it that was it. We we're like just kind of best mates ever since. And it's the same, you know, you're going to the same screenings and stuff all the time. So you do build up like a little bit of a posse for people. Like one of my other best mates, Karis, she was uh, 
the only other woman <laughs> on like the yeah this I know what that's right. like yes yeah. <laughs> And you're like, oh, thank God you're here. Okay, sick. Let's like sit up the back. And then you know, watching a movie, like obviously Blake is obsessed with the movie Heat and the work of Michael Mann. Me, not a fan. Um, I always describe yeah, I this like, you know, people with our dads who love crime. And <laughs> <laughs> not not like not for me, but that's kind of one of the things I think I, lo- I love about our friendship, but also that I love about um, film people friendships is that Mm -hmm. the things that you don't like can also be like the gumption that like keeps you together like you know you can just rip on somebody's taste like he doesn't like the fast and furious movies and i'm like what how can you oh they're they're a blast come on yeah that was was stage one of maria's iso was me just like i (laughs) I spent a whole weekend watching all nine of those fucking movies um which i love so much and i've seen too many times anyway so that's how we became mate and i can't remember what the second half of your question was so hopefully i answered no problem i was just wondering what it was like to work on josie and the podcasts Ah. together okay that's a great question i love talking about josie and the podcasts because it's a real passion project for me. Um, not so much for him. Like he wasn't a Josie and the Pussycats. He wasn't not a Josie and the Pussycats fan. But I think um, for women of a particular age and gay men of a particular age, that movie is really seminal and really important. Mm-hmm. And uh, for people who love a certain type of music, you know, Letters to Cleo, Fountains to Wayne, The Go-Go's, Biff Naked, Counting Crows, stuff like that. A lot of those bands and acts were really tied into the architecture of that movie so it had been um I think it was the 15 year anniversary of Josie and the Pussycats it'd been a movie I'd been obsessed with forever my one of my real one of my oldest friends actually her name's Amanda and she became the lead singer of this teenage rock band Operator Please which was a huge deal um here in Australia and in the UK in particular they were coming up around the same time as like the Tintins and um, Arctic Monkeys, stuff like that. And her, okay. like, journey to teenage rock stardom was from that movie and how much we obsessed over it. And um, and we had both moved over from New Zealand at the same time, so it was this thing that sort of, like, had inexplicably linked us. And so I knew there was always a really big fandom for that movie just from being friends with a lot of other people. And for the 15th anniversary, I'd written this piece about it and how important the movie was, and Blake – has suggested doing a podcast about it. And for reference, Blake suggests doing a podcast about a different topic like five times a day. It's oh, actually yeah. fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like it's one of those things that um, his wife Sam and I joke about all the time because he'll be like, hey, I've got this idea. And like Sam and I will just make eye contact and be like, oh, here we fucking go. <laughs> Another podcast. Concentrate on five instead of 15 kind of thing. And I, and then he suggested uh, Josie and the Pussycats podcast. And I'm like, mm, I don't know, man. Like, let me think about it. And I did think about it. And I thought about it for a while. And the time commitment of an ongoing podcast is something that I can't really commit to just because of how my life is. And it, it's just, like, quite unpredictable. And I'm can't, not always physically in, in a place where I can, like, even, like, on a Skype situation, you know, you might be on a really fucking long flight. It takes... 14 hours direct to get to LA you know what I mean like yeah just tricky right um but I had been interested in doing 
the, the podcast medium had been expanding and evolving in a way that was very interesting to me. And it was becoming less about a bunch of guys just talking to other guys about guy shit. Yeah. <laughs> it was like serial, obviously, is a really good example. But in the true crime space, you know, my favorite murder, a lot of stuff like that where uh, it was shifting. There was audio documentaries and that form was becoming – a little bit more prevalent, but also narrative podcasts and fiction podcasts and things that emerged the two. And that was a space that I was interested in working in. And that was also the space that I had expertise in because of the come from a journalism background, but for the past sort of five, six years, uh, a lot of the film and television I've been working in, I worked on this live nightly news show called The Feed, where if you mm-hmm. fucked up, you went to air with a blank slate. So every day we were delivering and filming and writing and producing live television. And part of that was like short form documentaries, mini docos, stuff like that. And I'd worked on a bunch of documentaries. And so I thought there was opportunity to do like a scripted series like that, where it played like a documentary and also something that had a definitive beginning and end because Mm -hmm. I, that, as a storyteller, that's the kind of format I enjoy. Like things, there are definitely things that I listen to in indefinitely and in perpetuity. But with Josie, I'm like, let's tell this story. Let's do beginning, middle, end. And the way that structure broke down was like the history, because there's so much history about that particular property and it's spinning yeah. off Archie and stuff like that. But how it was tied to the civil rights movement in the 60s, like just this incredible, interesting overlap an intersection of things that on the surface somebody would might laugh at you or write you off for liking a cartoon show about three women who fucking dress up as pussycats and are a spin-off with Archie. But at the same time that like, okay, fine. That's their criticism. But those three women paved the way for black representation in children's programming in America, which in turn paved the way for black representation in all programming in America. So there's some really significant beats there And so I came up with, like, a structure for how I thought six episodes could work Um, in terms of, like, history, you know, pre-production or development, Mm -hmm. we called that episode, production, soundtrack, release, and legacy. Like, those were the six chapters that were really clear. And then doing bonus bonus episodes in between about different aspects. And um, so it was a really great project to work on with Blake because I feel like his strengths are not my strengths and my strengths Mm. are not his strengths. So the research aspect and the chasing sources and just like, if you don't get an answer going to a place and the very like primary source journalism aspect of it is my strength. And like, you know, being very meticulous in my research notes and having full transcripts and having them annotated and like putting a script, because if you looked at the episodes, um, each episode is scripted like an episode of television, essentially, or like an episode of nonfiction television. So uh, any live TV or a documentary or something like that with the time codes and the links to references and vice versa. And he hadn't worked in that space before. Like he hadn't worked on a scripted podcast like that. And if you listen yeah. to the show, there's be- it's probably like 70% scripted, 30% unscripted. Our interviews aren't scripted and our interactions with each other aren't scripted, but the voiceover and the narration into stuff is scripted, obviously. And knowing where we're placing things and getting access to things like the creator of Archie, Bob Montana's family archives, stuff like that, which was um, a really 
it was a, it was incredible. Oh my god, I can't, Jen, I can't even tell you. It was so fucking cool. <laughs> I explained that was a really long process of me, like sort of going through person to person who was sort of like a gatekeeper for that family. And I don't mean that in like the Zack Snyder fanboy way. I mean, as in like this family's legacy is protected pretty much by a town um, where they all lived and grew up. And so they're very like uh, protective and nurturing of that family and that work and that legacy in a way that is, uh, I think maybe any creative's dream. (laughs) Like imagine protecting your characters and world and vision like that. Like it's almost unfathomable. And so I'd been passed on from person to person and then eventually get to the family of Bob Montana and have this incredible conversation with his daughter. And then the brothers reach out and we have chats as well. And it was just amazing. But um, Blake is just a really great producer. Like he's watching him put together an edit line of the show with all the clips and like, you know, it's just like mm-hmm. little stuff, like the fade in and the fade out. And I could do it, but I could not even do it in a way that would be like even 5% as good as he was able to do it. And in a way that was just um, really great on the show. Like we would have an edit and then he'd put the, the show together because we'd recorded everything beforehand. And we were always trying to get additional interviews with people like Parker Posey, for instance, was like our fucking great white whale. And she kept sending us <laughs> haikus about like she could, or she couldn't do it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it was so confusing. <laughs> yes or no like your people like her assistants literally sent us like I don't know maybe three or four haikus about her doing the show and I was like is that a yes or a no like I get you guys obviously have to be super weird because that's the brand but I just need it (laughs) um and so when we like listened to the first episode of the show I remember sitting in his he has a podcast studio in his house which is no it's incredible an amazing setup right it's so cool um and he has like all these like walls and painted things and stuff it's just like honestly it's so great and we played the first episode that we had which was history for his wife sam and she was sitting there listening to it and she's like this great um taste tester for us (laughs) because she's she's incredibly honest to the point where she's like no, in a mean way, just like doesn't give a shit about your feelings. Will tell you the honest thing. Okay, that's feelings, good. Fucking suck it up because here's the honest reaction to this. So we were playing this episode to her because we knew if it was shit or she hated it, um, or there was something wrong with it, she wouldn't hold back. She would tell us, and we were both there you know, watching her listen to the show, and oh. you can't. Like you literally cannot read what's on her face. Like I remember taking her to see Hustlers and I was like trying to discern whether she liked it. Like I was watching her watching the movie, like what's going on in there? <laughs> at the end of um, the first episode that we played her, she's she's like, this is completely not what I was expecting and is unlike anything you guys had done before. And that was true. Like that it was unlike anything that we had worked on together before. Um, and, unlike anything that Blake had done before, it's unlike anything I had done before. I guess as a journalist um, in this climate, I'm quite well known for doing uh, long form features about films that people have either overlooked or written off, but also long form interviews with uh, filmmakers who have like interesting and storied careers. So that's kind of what I'm known for. So I guess in a way it was like an audio version of that, but it was also something else. So working on Josie and the Pussy, Josie and the Podcast, I should say, um, is the name of the show. It was like 
one of the best professional and personal experiences of my career so far. And it was also interesting because it happened right at the start of this whole goddamn global pandemic. Like we had worked on it mm-hmm. for a year. Like I had spent a year traveling, getting the interviews, recording them, going places, us organizing um, chats that we could do on like, you know, different time zones and stuff like that getting up early, getting up late, like all that kind of stuff, getting emails from Kay Hanley from Letters to Cleo being like, I heard you were looking for me. And me and Blake being like, oh, my God. <laughs> so we had worked on it for a really long time, but putting it together and seeing the finished product was something that I was really proud of. And it's like a, a kind of show that really has legs because we released the full – we did six episodes, so the whole show was – began and ended within a span of six weeks, like, a you know, limited series, whatever. And then we did release bonus episodes each week in between. Um, the bonus episodes are fucking great too, by the way. Like, they're honestly just as long as the main show, but it's more like square-specific <laughs> things, like Du Jour, the fake boy band from the movie. And I still get messages every day from people who are discovering the show for the first time or people who are big fans of the podcast, um, people who, because it's the 20th anniversary of Josie and the Pussycats next year, so I feel like there's a lot of momentum ramping up. Like Rachel Lee Cook was just in a Netflix rom-com and uh, in a lot of the press for that, people were asking her about Josie and the Pussycats and that shift of it turning from a film that flopped and ruined people's careers has started in earnest to become like this universally beloved film and I think mm-hmm. that's the thing that I'm really attracted to. Um, I have a nonfiction film book that I've been trying to get up for years called So Bad They're Good, Movies You Don't Know But Should, which is a chapter Ooh, on I it. Like that. Thank you. I worked really hard on that title. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to fucking fund it? Because I tell you what, man, trying to get a nonfiction book up in this climate is fucking hard. But also, yes. like, because whatever you get known for people never want you to like, they always want you to stay in your lane and because all yeah. my books um, are fiction and they're high fantasy and like, you know, paranormal and all that kind of shit. People are like, yeah, but why would you ever write a book? That's not fiction. Like that's what you're known for. Oh, and then yeah. when you're writing something else, they're like, yeah, but why would you ever want to write something that's like when I was writing nonfiction, they never wanted me to write fiction. And then you write fiction yep. and they want you to write whatever. Um, but that book was each chapter is about a different film that people have overlooked or has value and has merit because I think there is no such thing as high versus low art. I think every film and every like piece, every book, every comic, every television show, there's something about it that is important to someone. And it's so hard to make good movies. In fact, it's nearly impossible to make good movies. That's why there's more bad ones than there are good ones. But when you do make something that's good or something that connects with just one person or it connects with a million, it's like lightning in a bottle. And I love talking about that. Like I mentioned The Phantom earlier, and that is one of my great loves, not just because um, that character, which, you know, predates, as, as in terms of like a, like a master vigilante, you know, predates Batman and Superman and Spider-Man and shit. But Lee Falk's character and the legacy of The Phantom is very... Um, ever present in Australia in a very weird way like not just because that movie was filmed here but the comics are still printed in Australian newspapers like Australians and Kiwis love the Phantom and that movie 
I know it's so weird, but it's also like it's also tied to a bunch of like World War Two shit and like the oh. one of the that has the pub like the merchandising rights is based in Australia. It's like very technical, whatever. People don't care. I care. Um, but <laughs> the movie when it came out, like obviously it did didn't do great. And uh, the director Simon Windsor, who's Aussie, he was kind of like the horse guy. Like whenever you needed a movie with horses, he was the guy you got. He did um young Indiana Jones series and discovered Catherine Zeta Jones on that. But he also did, you know, Man from Snowy River, st- things that are very important to Australians that have horses in them. And The Phantom was this movie that it was like swashbuckling and funny and earnest. Like I love things that are earnest because I think what's cooler than earnestly loving a thing, like fuck what other people think. If you love it, love it. And it was romantic and it was like it had multiple women in it who talked to each other about things that weren't a man. And like Catherine Zeta-Jones had like an all-female like pirate squad. There was just so many things I loved about it as a kid that I was obsessed with, that I stayed obsessed with as an adult. And then you see the tendrils of that sprinkle out to something like Captain America First Avenger is like, Mm -hmm. what if the Phantom but good, question mark? Like (laughs) all the elements and just made it better in their mind. And in a lot of people's minds, like you can't argue Captain America First Avenger is a fucking way better movie than the Phantom. But I just, I did, that's one of the reasons I just like, I love that movie. And when it was the 20th anniversary, I spent six months tracking down Simon Windsor, the director who like lives on a remote horse farm and only uses a landmark, <laughs> has messages of like to him through friends of friends and like to finally crack, crack getting him on the line. But stuff like that's really important to me. And so that has kind of always been my, um, when it comes to film, my modus operandi is a lot of, talking about things that people love and that I love regardless of whether they've either a financially done well or b they might have financially done well but then been real like critical flops or something like John Carter is a movie that I really love and think has a lot of value and ended up actually doing like financially pretty well like better than people fucking reported on and um and talked about at the time but was critically not a movie that you know people were super pumped for, if you will. Yeah, well, that's one thing I love about you. I actually revisited Josie and the Pussycats today. I had not seen it in 20 years, or I guess 19 years ago. I was a little old for it, I think, at the time, because I was 20. And I I remember liking it, but I kind of just, like, forgot about the movie. But, oh, my gosh, it was so much fun. I really enjoyed watching that. It reminded me a little bit of maybe what Wayne's World was to, like, my generation or the slightly older. Kind of the same subversive idea of consumerism and things going on and people being used for youth culture. Yes. Yeah. It's very interesting. Wayne's World, you know, that sort of on-the-surface um, like quirkiness and like quote unquote what some people would like consider dumb comedy or whatever you know like that yeah. Sort of, yeah but if you can be like not so up your own asshole for two seconds it's a lot deeper yeah. than that you know the message <laughs> is very fucking clever and very mm-hmm. at the time like for the year 2000 like in the like peak of Britney Spears Backstreet Boys and Sync era and they're talking about, like, brainwashing music through pop. It was fucking genius. Like, very, very clever. I think there's a lot of movies like that from that sort of time period of maybe, I don't know, 
uh, well, even Bill and Ted in a way, like Bill and Ted has, you know, come into its own. But at the time there were a lot of people who were like willing to overlook that movie because it was like two guys going, whoa, but it's like super clever and like really quite interesting and insightful. And I don't know. I just, I, I just don't think there's a distinction. Like, I don't think there's a distinction between high and low art. I think art is art and it doesn't matter whether it's like a rom-com or a fucking like sci-fi movie or a foreign language film or a period piece or whatever. Like things can have value regardless of the boundaries that you're trying to fit them in as a, as a genre, essentially same with books, same with comics, whatever. Like we see Australia has um, a real problem with, uh, we call it cultural cringe over here. But essentially what that means is if you saw the documentary Not Quite Hollywood, which was about the Ozploitation movement in Australia where things like Mad Max and Razorback and Turkey Shoot and the Howling Three Marsupials, they all kind of like came from that era. Um, there was a shift sort of led by this critic who's like my like <laughs> moral and cultural en- enemy, this guy called David Stratton, who kind of had this whole thing where he's like genre films don't have merit and oh boy yeah we need to be fucking better than making stuff that's like unashamedly like schlocky and pulpy and kind of sort of like shamed the industry into this period where uh we either didn't make genre films at all or the ones that we did make were like not supported by the industry for decades and so australian films wouldn't make money and people wouldn't see them like there would be exceptions to the rule things like babe obviously um things Mm -hmm. like for instance but they would always be like teetering a little bit more close to to genre fair and it was like it's been this big issue for the industry because Australia culturally does not support anything that's genre to the point where you get people like Lee Winnell and James Wan coming up with an idea for a horror film and a really incredible proof of concept they shop in Australia can't get any support for go to fucking LA for a weekend sell it like that an instant and then you know almost 20 years later Australian industry is trying to spend millions of dollars to get the two boys back to come and shoot stuff on our shores and it's like there's so many examples of that where it's um if the industry had just supported genre storytelling and genre storytellers we would have a climate that's like New Zealand you know where they were like oh are we just going to give a few million dollars to the guy who just made a movie about puppets that like to fuck each other yeah cool (laughs) it's lord of the rings movie whatever and it becomes an industry you know you literally can't throw a rock (laughs) in new zealand and hit someone who didn't work on not just lord of the rings but a lot of those peter jackson movies in any capacity whether it was as a fucking runner or an extra or like a dress set dresser or somebody like in any capacity of production and now they've built a whole little empire over there enough that you know james cameron has his second house over there and was like fucking pursuing new zealand citizenship which oh, i get wow. new zealand's dope but yeah anyway i went on an australian genre rant and that was bound to happen <laughs> oh no that's fascinating to me blake also told me that you're working on an audio podcast version of i think it's your is it your newest novel um you know it's my fuck what book is it third book so i have um i have a novel series called the supernatural sisters series i guess you could say 
it's a series of books that are all interconnected. So the first Ooh. book was called Who's Afraid, which was kind of like a feminist werewolf tale, I guess you could say, hence the title sort of supposed to be a play on Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf and Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf. And so each book has like a different main character, but that main character pops up in the other novels. So it's sort of examining the female experience through the lens of different monsters. So, you know, witches, ghosts, banshees, werewolves, all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, we're working on a narrative fiction podcast, which, again, is like a format neither of us have worked in um, before of my third book, It Came From The Deep, which is kind of like a – a little bit of a twist on Creature from the Black Lagoon meets Little Mermaid, <laughs> if you yeah. will. Yeah. I know, that yeah. sounded so fascinating to me. Yeah. I'm going to have to um, read that one. <laughs> mate, I'll send you a copy. Don't even sweat it. Um, but it, it's <laughs> exciting because we were sort of like playing with the form and I pitched it to him because it's very different from everything that he's done and everything that One Heat Minute Productions has done before. Very different from everything I've done. And so I was kind of like, you know, shooting this shit with him about like how we would do it and like why why we would do it there's a lot of narrative fiction shows out there and so essentially what we decided is like we'll do it like an audio book basically release a chapter a week and then what we were going to do is in between release a bonus episode like with Josie but um make it uh, like talking either about the craft or the research or different aspects of the story because there's, there's a lot of stuff. Like, you know, I spent time with a marine biologist um, and it's set within this very specific world of uh, competitive surf life saving, which is like a very like tricky thing to sort of explain in fiction, but is very like super dangerous sport. Like people die all the fucking time and is also not really like very rewarding. Like you're like, why do people do the sport where <laughs> – scenario is death and best case scenario is like you'll be working two jobs but it's just one of those things that um you know people love it and yeah so that was that's kind of like the next thing that we're working on which is pretty exciting it's pretty exciting for me and it's exciting because we'll be putting it out for free and the idea of doing an audiobook obviously is like you set a price right and people buy it but I was just like you know what I don't need the money Blake doesn't need the money we this year has been really tough for so many fucking yeah. people. Let's just put it out there as something that people can access and listen to when they're locked in their homes and mm-hmm. just like have it be there that something people can consume and they either consume it or they don't, but it's there. And it's, I think, really exciting for me too because it really expands the One Heat Minute Productions brand um, mm-hmm. and just makes the possibilities of that, I think, um, really more like the the sky's the limit i hate that i hate using i can clearly say like that but like you know you can point to oh yeah we did this like eight thousand episode podcast about michael mann but also yeah we did this beautifully produced show called increment vice and while we're here we did just in the podcast and we also did this fiction Mm -hmm. podcast and we also did all the president's minutes and we also did and you can just keep like pointing to lots of different examples of what you can do is a brand, which it's his brand. Like, why am I so invested? Whatever, man, do what you want. But, you know, I'm invested. (laughs) Yeah, of course you are. Well, Katie Walsh and I get the biggest kick out of the stories of your accidental, (laughs) sometimes literal run-ins with celebrities. So, especially like the Den of Thieves cast. So please tell everyone your Gerard Butler story. 
Yeah, people love the Gerard Butler story. Um, so <laughs> to keep it to like in summary to get you to the end of the story, because if you're listening to the show, you're like, oh my God, this bitch can ramble. But I hit Gerard car <laughs> is the long and short of it. Um, I had gone to the set of you know, those two places that I mentioned earlier, the Gold Coast as a filming location and Sydney as the other. So Sydney, they were filming Gods of Egypt there, right? Now, some of the films that are shot there are Alien Covenant, um, like I said, Legends of Shang-Chi is shooting there at the moment, uh, The Matrix, all of those movies shot there. Invisible Man shot there. A lot of people don't know that because they did a very good job of making it feel like... Uh, I, I believe didn't it. know that. That's yeah, cool. I know, right? Isn't that crazy? I was on the set for that. It was like actually super fucking great because they were shooting it on soundstage two which is where um they shot uh the matrix movies and lee winnell was in the matrix the second matrix movie uh as like an ill-fated character and so he was saying like it was you know he thought getting a bit part in the matrix was going to change his life and getting to work with the wakowskis obviously is amazing they were his heroes at the time and then all these years later, he's shooting the Invisible Man there, which is like very cool. I love like full circle shit like that. Um, yeah. Anyway, I digress. Okay, so it's at Fox Studios, which is where they're shooting Gods of Egypt. And I'm a big Alice Proyas fan. Um, a lot of people are. When that whole sort of thing went down about people being like, fuck him and fuck those Egypt movies, because Ridley Scott's um, Egypt Gods and Exodus Gods and King had Gods and Kings had come out at the same, or just like a few months oh, earlier. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, what if Egypt, but why? And then the guy <laughs> Murdoch is like, I don't know a single brown person from Egypt or whatever. And you're like, shut the fuck up, Rupert. Like, you don't know a single brown <laughs> So I feel like Gods of Egypt copped a lot of shit because of how much shit Exodus, Gods and Kings copped. And also it wasn't a good movie. But Alex Perez is actually born in Egypt. He's from Egypt. Um, he, you know, Egypt Australian. There's weirdly like actually quite a quite a significant sort of like subculture of um, Egyptian Australians. There's a few comedians who are from Egypt, like born in Egypt but grew up in Australia. Anyway, so I had gone to meet him uh, because they were in pre-production on Gods of Egypt on the Fox lot. And again, it's just one of those places, like as a journal, you've covered it enough times, you know, security, you know, whatever. They don't even give you a map. They're like, yeah, you fucking know where it is. And you're like, yeah, sick. <laughs> there's film production offices and like a convenience shop and all that on there. It's not the same. It's not like the Disney lot in Burbank or something like, or even Warner Brothers in that same way. Yeah. It's just like very, there's like a boom gate and a high fence. And then that's kind of it. Like you're left to run free. And so I had been catching up with him and we'd been talking about the movie and like, you know, just he'd been going through and showing me a bunch of stuff. And we're just like sort of chatting shit about his past movies, obviously like the crow is the one that everyone points to, but dark city is, um, is pretty significant as well. I robot. Oh my fucking God. Come on. Like I robot is that girl. <laughs> um, and so we had left, we had a great, I, I left, he stayed, obviously he was waiting, we had a great chat and I just like had all my shit like in the passenger seat and I had my little car, it was this car called Frosty the Spy Car, it was my old car, <laughs> I mentally had to get rid of it because it started leaking gas and oil, um, which oh, is like wow, never. that's not a good combo, no. <laughs> Sorry, it was a little Toyota Echo, it was white, but I'd gotten purple racing stripes put on it, it was kind of a joke and then it had like these ridiculous <laughs> Um, for my surf ski and my surfboard and stuff. So I was driving off the lot, which like the maximum speed limit is like 40 
kilometers an hour. So at best you're in second gear. And so I was in first gear. I wasn't even like going very hard, very fast at all. And I wasn't paying attention because it was first gear and it's like, you're basically driving on a footpath. So I was like, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I was fucking checking my phone, like writing something about one of the notes I had from the interview. And I hear this like, dunk, and I look up and it was <laughs> fucking Gerard Butler. And, his <laughs> and I had like gently driven into his hip. And he was like, oh, I fucking want. And like whacked the bonnet of the car like you fucking dickhead kind of thing. And I was like, yeah. oh. like sorry and then off he went it's like a little bit of a park kind of there so he like sort of walked off into the park with his like fucking six foot infinity security guard and that was it so it's um yeah it sounds way more dramatic when you say you hit Gerard Butler with your car it sounds (laughs) but that's always the joke is like oh you could have you know spared us from gods of Egypt which you know true Mm -hmm. but um in terms of Genesis cast it's really just him and 50 Cent because when I caught up with Katie, um, like, fuck, it was last year, but it could have felt like a lifetime ago. <laughs> like, I truly, know. it felt like it's awesome. So crazy. Um, I was over there uh, doing a bunch of stuff for work, like, all at once. So I was doing, like, some coverage for Hustlers and interviewing people for that. But then I was also um, doing some meetings for different shows that I worked on who have production offices that are all based out of LA and blah, 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 just trying to line up a bunch of different shit. And so we ended up catching up um, at this hotel in West Hollywood, I believe. It's the hotel where I was staying at, and it was way more bougie than what I would usually stay at, but it was being paid for by, okay. yeah, you know, like by a company. Yeah. Right? like fuck it wherever they put you they put you why not yeah (laughs) and usually what happens is you end up staying at this specific hotel in Burbank which is like if it's a DC Comics or a Warner Brothers thing that's where they'll put you like the hotel is literally I swear to god it's only ever filled with people who are there on a Warner Brothers or a DC Comics thing it's just like place you're all in this it's this weird hotel that it's all like one level but it's kind of like apartments but not really it's very strange and so I wasn't there on their dime I was there on someone else's and they'd put me in this like ridiculous hotel it was like super fucking fancy and 50 cent was staying there at the time and so were a bunch of people it's just like I think one of those hotels where it's just like every second motherfucking person's like a celebrity but it was just as the new season of power had premiered oh okay yeah, and, I, and Katie and I were having drinks in the bar. And they're like, oh, look, there's 50 Cent. <laughs> <laughs> Him and his entourage were, like, just down on the same extension of the bar. Um, and it was kind of funny because my first concert ever was 50 Cent. Uh, oh, wow. When I was a teen. <laughs> and so it was very That's weird. hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. But, wow. Yeah, so that's it. Just those two Den of Thieves people. But let me tell you. If I ever cross paths with Oshia Jackson Jr., I would be extremely excited because I think he's like super talented and I'm low key in love with him. So, okay. All right. Let's <laughs> tell him to, you know, give you a call. Yeah. Well, pretty soon they'll be like, hey, I want to cross paths with Maria Lewis. So, uh, yeah, I fucking, I highly doubt that. I'm pretty sure his dance quad is like quite full. Um, but yeah, no, I, <laughs> it was um, Longshot. I thought he was so great in Longshot. Because it was, oh, I love that. That was, was such great, a good movie. Seriously, my favorite movie of 2019. I was like, this movie makes me believe in love again. Um, but it was just so different from 
Den of Thieves. And so mm-hmm. different from Straight Outta Compton. And then Ingrid Goes West was such a different performance. Like everything yeah. that he does is so different from the last thing that he's done. I find that very like appealing as somebody who like likes to watch different performers I'm always like if somebody can surprise me with each role I'm like shit I feel like I haven't seen that from you before it's very exciting very true well I don't want to keep you all day because your day is just beginning so last question I know you watched like six movies yesterday so what has been the best thing that you've watched recently that's like your new favorite that everyone should check out if they haven't film or television yeah film. oh I- either no, nah, I'll go. Both. I'll go film because that's like something that's like nice and tight for me to okay. just you know television show. This is this answer is going to be like a fucking thousand things long. <laughs> like, I ask this, she can never answer a single question shortly. Um, no. You know what? I I would say I really loved Sea Fever. I'm a big monster movie person, uh, okay. and in terms of like a new thing that I've watched, a lot of the stuff that I have been watching is old stuff that's new to me. Like uh-huh. a lot of, you know, Cameron Crowe's early filmography, even something like um, Gross Point Blank. I had never seen that before. So oh, stuff like that. That's <laughs> I know, truly, it's so good. Mini Driver and him have such incredible chemistry. I think it's yeah. just like so good to watch. And then I, <laughs> I didn't realize Dan Aykroyd was in that movie and I was chuckling because um, – he has this fucking alcohol company. I think it's called like Skull Gin or something. I can't remember. But I interviewed him years ago when he was out in Australia promoting his fucking gin. And he had like <laughs> bottles of like Skull Gin everywhere. And it ended up being like, I think he'd just done so many things on the press tour. He was like about to snap. But we ended up having a really fun chat and then went to like this um, underground bar. There was like a pub, but then they had like an a bar in a dungeon underneath and he was really oh, wow. lovely and his wife was there. We had like a really wonderful time and I oh, had cool. just like, I had moved in, I've just moved into a place by myself and I was unpacking all my shit and there was like a little note that he had written me and I was just like, Oh my God, I fucking like totally, I totally forgot. Like it was so long ago and it felt like it was just such a weird occasion because it was, not that you were talking to somebody about their film. It's like, hey, so let's talk about your gin <laughs> question yeah. or vodka. I actually think it's called Skull Vodka. Anyway, whatever. Okay. It's called vodka. Okay, so Sea Fever I loved because it was new and um, also in terms of like, you know, the last thing I got to see in a theatre was like Birds of Prey and Invisible Man and I, mm-hmm. movies, theatres have been shut ever since. So the theatrical experience is gone for me. So anything that's new, it's got to be something I can watch at home. And Sea Fever, I loved. Um, it's written and directed by this woman. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Niasa Hardman, who um, had directed some episodes of Jessica Jones and a bunch of other shows. Uh, one of the episodes of The Immortals, may it rest in peace. Inhumans, sorry, Inhumans. The really <laughs> terrible fucking Marvel show. But it... <laughs> essentially like a version of the thing on a boat I guess you could say and so it's very tight cast it's just six people they go out to sea they encounter like a strange a sort of like um parasitic entity and shit starts going wrong on the boat it's sort of like a less fun version of Underwater, which also came out this year with Kristen Stewart a movie that I really love and think is really fun and enjoyable in terms of like those sort of monster movies, creature features, but 
Sea Fever was really beautiful, very interesting, very unique, but also felt familiar enough that I, I felt like I was being wrapped in a warm blanket, like, oh, yeah, this is the abyss, or this is, you know, insert any other, you know, parasitic alien-type movie. Um, but what was also very interesting about it to me was, so it's a cast with, like, I don't know, let's let's say that I think there's, like, six people in the cast, like six or seven people on the boat or whatever. Okay. And I just was watching it like I never want to hear that argument ever again that a movie can't be diverse because it's set in XYZ time period or it's set uh, in XYZ location. Because this movie is set on a fucking fishing trawler in West Island and you can have diversity in the cast. You know, like they have the yeah. they have crew members who are their, – their story is that they're from Syria. And – it was just like, yeah, a fucking course. Like, it, depending on what parts of Ireland you go to, like, Ireland is, is actually, like, you know, certain parts, obviously, super fucking white, potatoes, potatoes. But there's other parts that are really quite multicultural and have, like, a, a, a quite, like, high refugee community and immigrant community. And it was just, like, such a fucking great example of, you know what, I, next time someone's like, oh, but we can't have diversity because it's a Jane Austen adaption or whatever. <laughs> an Irish movie set on a fishing trawler and it can be diverse not just like in ethnicity but it had characters of different age groups it had women um, it had fucking Connie Nelson in it like she was great like it was just oh, she's she, always good she's yeah. always good she's always good it was a good movie um, I really enjoyed it I was I was just riveted the whole time like I really that's always the testament is if you put your phone down and you never feel the inclination to like twitch your thumb towards it then um, I think that's a really good thing so yeah I love I love sea fever I was a big fan cool, cool. well now I want to check that one out and maybe with some skull vodka the listeners <laughs> are now going to rush out get that and hopefully watch the sea fever hey, yeah I will fucking commish on Ackroyd Skull Vodka but I will tell you yeah. the Skull Vodka it comes in a like this is why people will know it they might know that it's his company but the vodka comes in a clear like not to be all Indiana Jones about it crystal skull so ah. it's like a, a glass skull so once the vodka's gone you're left with this really dope skull <laughs> you can fill with whatever you want you know colored water or refill it back up without the vodka like that was one of the best things about it is that it has um, a really good container. <laughs> yeah, Halloween prop in the making. Yeah. Halloween prop for the win. You could fill it with like soil and fucking put a succulent in it or I don't know, whatever yeah. particular jam is. I know. Well, this was so much fun, Maria. I really appreciated it. And I love talking to you. This was great. I'm sorry this podcast is going to be so long because I just like, you know, haven't spoken with enough humans. <laughs> Obviously. No, I loved it. I was like worried I was taking your time so much, but thank you so much. Uh, don't even, literally, I cannot stress how much. Um, I have nowhere to go. Uh, like literally, <laughs> I have nowhere to go. So more than happy to chat shit for infinity. Okay, sound good. Well, I look forward to hopefully talking to you soon. Thanks, Maria. This was fun. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I love the show. Like, honestly, oh, it really thank you. feel like having friends in the house. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you like it. This is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com or filmintuition on social media and letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen and Friends. <laughs>